You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Thanks, Rick and Faye, for reading that. I am going to pray once again and invite you to join me. God, thanks for your word that we get to sit under it together, that we get to read something that's been read and sang for thousands of years by your people, reminding us of of the hope that you offer, of, of the God that you are, of who we get to be in light of who you are and your wondrous works. God, today would you... Would you invite us to, to remember and to see those wondrous works? Um, and, and would you let that be an invitation to sing thanks with your people for all time? In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Give thanks. Uh, I, I know, but you've already given all the things that you can give this week, right? I, I understand. And, and maybe some of you thought that you were off the hook for heart-filled gratitude until November of 2024. I understand you thought that Thanksgiving was something that happened one day of one week uh, as a, a small sliver of your life. But it turns out that we get to have hearts filled with gratitude. We get to have hearts filled with thanks every day all year long for those who know, trust, and treasure the Lord above all, right? For, for those who know and trust and treasure the Lord above all, we get to have hearts filled with gratitude all the day long. So today we launch into Advent. Now I know that's technically a week early for you church calendar type of people, but we're not gathering on uh, Christmas Eve the 24th, and so we'll do an Eve Eve gathering, so we kind of jumped the gun intentionally to, to get us there uh, through Sundays and, and including the Eve Eve gathering as well. So, so we, we launch into Advent warming up our voices by singing psalms of thanks. Now, there are many types of psalms, and, and if you're curious about where to find those, they're about right in the middle of this big book, right? That's where you find the psalms. Uh, they are in the Old Testament, and there are many of them, like 150 of them. There are lots of them, and, and there are many types of them. Uh, first of all, if you refer to all of them, then you're referring to the, the Psalms or the book of Psalms, even though some of your Bibles say that it is the book of Psalm, which can be a bit confusing. And then you have each of the Psalms called Psalm 105, for example. And so essentially it's this, the word Psalm is, is songs. And so it's a book of songs, and each one of them is one single Psalm or, or one single song of praise. Uh, so there are many types. There are, there are psalms of praise. There are psalms of lament. And there's, there are psalms of confidence and of kingship and of remembrance and of wisdom. Uh, we have preached several series. It would take us a long time if we just preached, you know, like all of the psalms together. So we've kind of chunked them out over the years. We have, we have preached royal psalms. And so you're looking at psalms that, that deal with with kingship, we have preached psalms of ascent, 
which is a particular chunk of the Psalms that, that God's people sang after a long pilgrimage, a long journey, where they would literally sing these songs as they walked up to the temple of God. There are imprecatory psalms, some of your favorite. These are the ones that literally cast God's judgment down upon their, their enemies. And they are like, the, the thing about the psalms is they are, they are raw and they are emotional and they are authentic. Uh, they're, they're just wide open. And so if you thought that, that God's people just were, were just kind of soft and, and cowardice and just said the right things all the time and always had their, their suit jacket buttoned in the right way, you should spend some time in the Psalms and you might, be, you might be shocked at some of the things that you read in there. Today, though, we are jumping into uh, a month of Psalms of thanks. And, and my hope is that our hearts might be stirred and gosh, like years, end of years are a good time to like sigh and breathe deeply and just be reminded of God's goodness. And so, so my hope is that our hearts would be, be pointed and stirred upward, that we might get to delight in the goodness of God and that we might live a life of gratitude, not just in uh, the end of November and the month of December, but all year long. The beauty of the Psalms is that they are they are literally a songbook for the people of God in the Old Testament. They uh, they are Israel's songbook, which leads us through this very rich history, packed full of emotion and lament and praise and joy and sorrow. Uh, we see journeys of faith as we read and sing these songs, and even more, it's, it's actually five books compiled together over. Hundreds of years. In fact, the Psalms span a time frame of about 1,000 years. And so when we say we're like standing on the shoulders of our ancestors, man, as we, as we walk through the Psalms, we literally are doing that. And most were written between about 10, 10 and 930 B.C. during the time of David and his son Solomon. The oldest psalm, Psalm 90, was written by a guy maybe you've heard of. His name was Moses around 1500 B.C. Uh, when the first generation of Israelites were dying in the wilderness after God had saved them through the Exodus. <clears throat> I want to read uh, a little bit. It should be on the screens from a, a series set up. Maybe some of you grabbed this on the way in. Maybe you didn't. There should be some on the Connect desk. Uh, just kind of helps set up what we're doing over the next month the Psalms contain some of the most emotionally rich, poetic, raw, and varied writing in Scripture. The goal of the collection is to demonstrate a praying heart by leading the reader to reflect on God's Word and engage God's world with a lens on the Messianic kingdom to come. In this series, we will focus on a few hand-picked Psalms which direct our hearts to give thanks for what the Lord has done. And, he will take, and we will take the season of Advent to, to let each psalm frame a focus around the heart of our song, Jesus. That's what we're in for. Today we kick off a month of giving thanks through the psalms of gratitude. And today we give thanks for his wondrous works. And so kind of the big idea that we'll, we'll get to today is this, the wondrous works of God are an invitation to sing thanks for all time. But, but I know, and, and you know, 
that gratitude isn't always easy. It's not always easy to live out of a place of thankfulness. Uh, there are some things that, that push and pull against a grateful heart, and it shows up a thousand ways. There's selfish motivation that stifles our song. So, so what we're going to do together is today, like we are just reading uh, a whole bunch of scripture. They read 11 verses, but, but over the, the next uh, day and a half, just kidding, over the next three hours, we're going to actually read all, all of Psalm 105 together, and we're just going to delight at what God has done. So the first thing that we're looking at today is, is we get to give thanks to the Lord. And you might say, but how? And thankfully, the psalmist invites us to know how we get to do that. He says, oh, give thanks, call upon his name. Now, what's interesting, especially for, for a, a preacher, is that he starts with the response. He starts with the call to action for the people of God. Now, I know three things about thank you cards, right? I know that I have a family member who is dead serious about sending thank you cards, so much that for the course of my life, you go to like their child's birthday party or you go to Christmas or whatever, and it seems as if by the time we get home from that event, there is a thank you card with the gift that we gave in our mailbox. Now, I don't know if that's possible, but, but literally, like this person's desert, my mom She's dead serious about thank you. Like, did you write them a thank you card? I'm like, I don't, Mom, I don't know if I, it's like maybe or stamps. They're just so dang expensive or like whatever, you know. Um, but and so maybe you're like, yes, thank you. Like, that's your thing. All right. So so I know three things. One, I know that that my family member is dead serious about thank you cards. Two, I know that that Jimmy, Fa Jimmy Fallon has a segment called thank you notes and it's hilarious and really good, and he just thanks, you know, he just thanks people and things for common things that are really helpful and fun. And I also know that, I also know this about thank you cards, that if you fill out a connect card, then you get one of these in the mail, right? And some of you are like, hey, I've seen that, right? And some of you are like, hey, where's mine? So if you fill out a connect card, and you, here's the thing, it's a two-way street, and you write in a way that those in the connections team and myself can actually read your name and your address if you put that on there. Then on Monday, I write one of these things and I say, hey, thanks. It was really great and connected with you. Or I say, hey, I didn't get a chance to connect with you, but that would be awesome. So here's the thing. If you've been around here for a little while, this is just a commercial plug within the sermon, right? If you've been around here for a little while and you've never let us know that like you exist or that you're around here and you're like, it's just like fill one of these things out. You can do that online or whatever. It really is an opportunity for us to, to say thanks for, for hanging out with us and, uh, and all those things. So is that good, Kim? You didn't see that coming, did you? Kim leads connections and she's like, yes, this is. And, and if, you take it, if you take it to the connect desk, you'll even get a little gift, right? But you got to write legibly or you're just out, all right? Uh, so, so the encouragement is this, give, give thanks. That's what he starts off. Oh, give thanks. All right. Okay. What does that mean? What comes to mind for you when you say, when, when someone says, man, give thanks, is, is it a clap? Is it a whoop? Is it fist pumps? Is it fist bumps? Right. Um, is it, is it the wave? I know school pickup lines and drop off lines are tough. Like, and it's always, you're just trying to get through and we have a, a driver in the house um, and so as, as we're talking about driving a lot in our family, like if someone gives you the wave and you don't give them one of these back, like 
That's the lowest of the low, right? So for me, it's like, I'm looking. Hey, you go ahead. No, go ahead. It's cool. Like, no, I mean, it's fine. Go ahead. And then they just like, I'm like, this person has some nerve. They, they never, and like, I will, like, how oh, can they see? I'm out there. Hey, think, thanks, you know? Um, so maybe that's your thing, right? Um, that, that's my thing, apparently. Maybe it's a handwritten card. Maybe it's a smile or a hug. Maybe, like, I, I know when our kids were little, we did, like, thank you jar around this time of year. Maybe you do something like that. Write things you're thankful for on rocks and put them in a jar on paper or whatever. Maybe it's, it's like the traditional Thanksgiving around the table. Hey, what are we thankful for? And, and all those things are fine well and good, and it probably depends on the gift and the giver in the way that you show thanks, right? But I just want us to think about all the ways that we get to show thanks. You might not even know what that word means. What does it mean to give thanks? Here's some definition thoughts, right? Grateful thoughts. To give thanks means that you have grateful thoughts. Okay, so that's something that comes out of us. That's something that, that lives in here, I think it flows from here. What, what does thanks mean? It's an expression of gratitude. And I know what you're thinking. What's gratitude? Thankfully, gratitude is the quality of being thankful. So we're just stuck, right? I don't know what to do with that. But if we read on, readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. Gratefulness in response to kindness. And what that shows us as we look at those definitions it, is that it is something that happens from here. It's not just the thing. It's not just the thing that we do. It's, it's something that flows from what's happening in our mind and in our hearts. And, and the psalmist is inviting us to give this. Give thanks. Give a grateful heart filled with grateful thoughts. That changes the way that you interact. And then he shows us what, what we get to do. In, in Psalm 105, I'll, I'll read uh, 1 through 6 quickly. And just, this is what I want you to think about. What is it, what are the words telling us to do? Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and seek his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. So, so what, what are the calls to action? Call upon him. Call out to him. If you're a parent, like I know that it can be frustrating when your, your, your little child just, mom, 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 dad, dad, and you just, ah, just stop calling upon my name. But I, I think as the kids grow up, then you're just like, no, like, Call, like, do you need me? Like, call upon me. Like, just, just, like, say, hey, hey, hello, hey, hey, dad. Like, that's a good thing. So we need to call upon our father's name. We get to sing to him. And some of you are like, nope, I'm out. And that's okay. Like, we understand if you're that bad, then maybe, I'm kidding. 
right? But we get to sing to him. We get to let the overflow of, of our heart's delight be a song to his ears. And maybe that shows up. Gosh, it, it, when the church gathers like this, like we get to sing these truths together, right? What does it look like to sing to the Lord? Maybe it's like a state of mind, but maybe it's actually words coming out of you through melody. Glory in his name, right? Shine, shine light brightly in his name, through his name, to his name. Seek his strength and his presence. Dad, I, I'm in trouble and I need help. What is it? Child, what, what is it? Like, the Lord says, call upon him. Cast our cares and our anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. So, so these are all ways that the psalmist is inviting us to give thanks. Seek his strength and his presence. Remember his wondrous works. You may struggle to read God's word. I get it. But, but spending time in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament reminds us of who God is. Right? And that's not, I'll, I'll say this again, but that's not merely a theological exercise. That's stirring our hearts that we might know him so that we might remember what's true of him, that we might remember what's true of us, that we might remember his promises, that we might remember his promises of the past, and that we might remember his promises to us that have yet to come in the future. So these obviously are not the only ways to give thanks, but they are some beautiful ways that, that flow through those who are thankful for God's saving work to them for all time. So, so why wouldn't we then live a life of thanks? Why, why wouldn't we do those things, right? What prevents you from living a life filled with gratitude in response to who God is? Well, I, I think there are a couple things. One, we are unaware of his wondrous works. You might simply be Unaware, like you, you don't know, or, or maybe if you've been around for a while, you're, you're part of the church, like whatever, you, you, you know, uh, but, but you assume, you take for granted what God has done. So when we read things like, like I'm going to read in the next few minutes that just show us his saving work through, uh, by, by saving his people Israel at the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt and all these things, we just say, yeah, yeah, we, we, we know that. We say things like, like, give thanks to God for, for he has saved us from our sin. And we say, yeah, I'm, obviously, I know that. Like, we are unaware of his work. Maybe we just don't know. Maybe you're, you're shallow in your faith or you're just trying to figure stuff out and you just, you've never swam through this book and you just have no idea what God has done. Like, no, no matter where that finds you, we get to... Find a way to see what God has done for us. How are, how are we made aware of his work? And, and what I'll tell you is that we get to behold this as trustworthy and true, and we get to build our life around it. Like, you can't live a life committed to, and certainly, 
and, and gr filled with gratitude without knowing what God has done for us, without knowing who he is, without knowing who you are. And this thing right here, this is the key. It is the hinge to unlock all of that. The second thing is, is we might overestimate our own works. Anybody? Even if we know God's word or we know his works, we might think that the hinge to getting us eternal life or, or the hinge to, to, to putting ourselves in a place to actually pleasing God is the works of our own hands, the things that, that we do. And, and, and that's, uh, that's moralism. And moralism assumes that we can earn God by good deeds. Like if we're just good enough and, and then we, we forget the standard that God sets for us. And, and then we find ourselves just comparing ourselves to our neighbor and saying, like, I'm good, see, because she's really bad. And he's really bad, but, but look at me. I, I'm, I'm better. See, Lord? Right? And we overestimate our own work. But here's the thing. Like, we can't, by any law, earn God. We can't, by any law, earn the, the goodness of God's presence. We cannot earn eternal life. We cannot earn forgiveness of sin. We can earn none of those things. In fact, the Bible says that it, it, it goes to great lengths to, to assure us that we are not innately good. Now, you might be sitting here saying, like, what? Like, I, but I'm, I'm, a good, I'm a good person. And I, I would say, that's fine. But, but we get to see what that means. That means we get to wade through God's word. We get to see how good he is, what that standard of righteousness and goodness is for him to, to call us his people. And none of us can stand in that. Like there's, there's, there's not a ladder that you can build high enough to earn favor or blessing or, or even the presence of God. He, he's far in a way not like us. Or, or maybe... We, we don't keep his works in front of us. Maybe we know all those things, but we just forget. We believe, and then, and then we forget, and we drift. And look, this is the most basic thing. If you're trying to walk in a way that, that is faithful over the course of your life, if you're in this room right here today, you are doing what the people of God have done for thousands of years. Come together sit with one another, sing songs to him about him, pray together, sit under his word together, be challenged, equipped, built up, and sent out. Like what you're doing today is not a small deal. Now, you know, and I know many of you, and, and some of you are like, uh, you're, you're walking with God and things are good, and like, man, I, I just feel, yeah, I read my Bible and whatever, and then I talk to you three months later, and you're like, oh, gosh, like, it's terrible. Things are tough, and I just, I, I just keep being drawn to sin and whatever, and, and then you look, and you're like, but, but you failed to gather, even just to gather with God's people, You've not been showing up regularly. Look, and this is not enough. This is not enough. But, but without this, man, it's just so hard to be by yourself. You're like that, that like three-legged baby antelope. Like you will get devoured by the lion in the Sahara. Like it's a, it's a wrap. It's over. 
We must gather together. It's, it's not a small deal. The psalmist knows this, which is why he, he wrote this, which is why the Spirit preserved this, which is why, why uh, we get to sing this song along with God's people for all time, even today. And what I want you to know is, is I don't think that things were much different for these people as they are for you and me. Like, we have this ten- tendency to read the Old Testament and think, like, oh, they-, they came together in the temple and everything was, like, robotic and-, and they saw God and still they forsook him. Look at your own life. You, you didn't walk in here in a-, a-, a, f- a spirit-filled trance and you just do the things and pray the prayers. They lived life just like you did. The context was different. They sacrificed uh, temporarily in hopes of, of, a, of a permanent sacrifice that we have that they didn't have. There, there's this out of sight, out of mind. We, we must gather together with God's people. The, the Bible's crystal clear. Like, do not forsake doing just this. Opening up this. Opening up this. Opening up this. Opening up this so we get to gather and read and, and meditate on God's word and remember to remember. That's what the invitation is. The second thing is the Lord has done wondrous works. Well, but what has he done? Like, you know there's this saying, what have you done for me lately, right? And, and people use that casually, like, yeah, like, where's that person been? Or like, yeah, I'm just not into it because I haven't seen them in forever or whatever. Uh, and, and it highlights a couple things. One, it highlights forgetfulness. Like, what have you done for me lately? Because maybe you've done something in the past, but I haven't seen, uh, I haven't, it, it's been a while since I've benefited from your existence. That's what the line means. Now, you would never say that. But, but secondly, it highlights humanity's need to be served. What have you done for me lately? There's this, this other line, and maybe you've heard this, and maybe you haven't. And it, and it says this, let's just say I'm doing it for an old pal in the army, right? There's this movie, it's called, it's called White Christmas, and you can love it or hate it, it's fine. Um... If you love it, talk to Kim. She loves it. It's like one of her favorites. Um, there's this one guy, and he saves another guy's life. There's a, a, it's a war scene. It's an old movie. It's tough to get through. But, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It's good. It, it just took... It just took like 30 times to like get what's happening, right? Now, it's, it's on me. I'm, I'm dead. So there's this, uh, there's this chimney, and there's a war scene, and the chimney falls, and the one guy, you know, grabs the other guy and saves his life, all right? The rest of the movie, this is an oversimplification, is a, is a charade of forced gratitude and a reminder of indebtedness. I won't even ask you if that's fair. That's, that's an oversimplification. But so, so one guy saves one guy, and then the rest of the movie, it's just this one guy saying, hey, can you do me this favor? And one of the, the guy that he saves, like a uh, singing star guy, whatever, big deal. And, 
can you, uh, you know, because I, I saved your life, you know, can you, uh, can you read my script? Because I saved your life, can you, you know, date this girl? And, and guilt is the angle, because everybody's got an angle. Uh, and, and, and if we're not aware of the wondrous works of God, then, then we won't be able to live thankful and joyful lives joyfully. That's like really important. Like that right there, that, that mentality of thinking like, oh, God, God has done things for me. And so like I probably should do things for him, right? But this is what I want you to know. That, that, is, not, that is not good news. That is not the invitation of the gospel. That's not gospel motivation. That's, that's guilt motivation. Like, like Christmas, I, I remember when I was a kid, um, teenager or whatever, going to church and Easter uh, productions and like, I, I felt like the goal, and, and this was probably my miss, but I felt like the goal was just to feel really bad about, about what I've done. Uh, and then like, live my life like, oh, okay, so man, I really need to get my stuff together because he's really done a lot for me. But, but we miss the hope and we miss the joy and we miss the love. The gospel, it doesn't motivate, motivate us through guilt trips, but reminders of our great God remind us of our great God's love. And when we're, when we're reminded of his love, then we're invited to live in light of that joyfully. It's a game changer. If you thought that following Jesus had to mean that you just have a sad face because you're not satisfied by all the world offers you, yeah, I, I don't get to do that anymore, and you know, you just kind of go, no, 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 following Jesus offers you the greatest level of fulfillment, of satisfaction, of life, like a real life, the fullness of life that anything in this world can offer. Right? But, but we must acknowledge and see and remember his wondrous works in order to do that. So we have to figure out a couple things. Uh, one, we have to figure out what is the psalmist talking about? What are these wondrous works? Like what, what wondrous love is this that we see for them then? And, and then we have to figure out what is the spirit even today reminding and pointing us to through the psalmist? For us now. Them then? Us now. So, so the psalmist in, in 105, 7 through 42, he shows us, like, what has God done for me lately? Like, well, we get, we get to see this. So if you have a Bible, man, open the thing up and follow along with me. I'm just going to be reading for the next few minutes. If you have a pen, circle or underline. If, if you're looking on an app or whatever, highlight if you're able when you see something that God has done, and look at all of the action that the psalmist is inviting us to see, right? Starting in verse 7, 105, 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. So when I say for all time, God's very mindful. He's not short-sighted. He's about his people for all time. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute 
to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. A promised land. He, he, the psalmist is, is pointing back to what God has done in Genesis through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the patriarchs, like our, our first ancestors in God's faith family. He goes on. When they were few in number, he's, he's talking about God's people, Israel. They, they, weren't even, they didn't even have a name then yet, but they were so small, they were literally a tribe. When they were few in number, of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, right? They, they had no place, they had no, they, they had no king other than the Lord himself, they, they were a lowly people by the world's standards. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. That's what God has done. Verse 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. Basically, he was in shackles, right? His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So God sent this guy named Joseph. He was, he was enslaved and in chains. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes in his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. That's what Joseph did because the Lord had sent him. He goes on, then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. He's talking about God's people were, were held captive by, by Egypt. It was the superpower of the day. Look what he did. Then the Lord sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. Then the Lord sent darkness, and he made the land dark, and they did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood, and he caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. This is what's happening. All this God is doing so that Egypt might loosen its grip on God's people, that he might, by his wondrous works, rescue and save his people. This is what God has done. The psalmist is reminding them through song, through poetry, the wondrous works of God. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and, and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land. He ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their strength. All that is his opposition to Egypt. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, 
for dread of them had fallen upon it. If you want to know the long, this is the short version. If you want to know the long of this, read the book of Genesis and read the book of Exodus that tells of all of these things, right? He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light by night. Literally a pillar of cloud. Literally a pillar of fire guiding his people. They asked and he brought quail. He provided for them and gave them bread from heaven in abundance, manna, literally like cornflakes for breakfast every single day, from nowhere. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. May I share all that with you to show you that these are our people. This is our God. These are the wondrous works that he has done. He has promised. He has saved, rescued, and brought his people into a land of promise, setting the foundation for descendants as numerous as the stars. He has remembered and not forgotten. He has promised and he has delivered. Imagine God's people singing this song in the worst of the worst as a nation established in and by God. Like, but, but remember who our God is. Remember that he has not forgotten, he has not forsaken us. There's this resounding promise of what has happened and this resounding promise of what will happen. And, and all of that, because of his great love for his people to fulfill his promises, real time, real people, real rescue, real plagues, real enemies, and a real hero. And I want you to see that it's not Joseph, that it's not Abraham, it's not Moses, it's the Lord. And he used these stumbling people to do mighty works through his mighty hand. And all of that as an even greater foreshadow of an, e of, of an even wider hope for all who would believe. Man, it's so easy to read Old Testament stuff and be like, yes. But I've said this before. If you ask a, a, a Jew, a, a Hebrew, why God loved them, how they knew, they would say, because he has rescued us. And they would point to this account that we just read in summary. This, this, was, this was the cross of the Old Testament for God's people. So we, we don't get to minimize their story, but we get to see that God was building an even bigger story with an even bigger table and even more rooms, an even wider scope, an even wider invitation list for God's people to be with him. For us, same Savior, the Lord our God, different time, different context, different names, Christ our Savior is born. So as, as they would sing this song, Think about, I want to read in Romans 5. Think about how often every song that we sing 
is really about this for us. For while we, this is in the New Testament, so this is pointing to Christ's work, Christ's salvation for us. While we were still weak, just like those wandering around the desert, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, not by sending plagues on the enemy, but by sending his wrath on his son to save us, the enemy of God. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Then, it was God pulling out a people to be with him here, Christ's work, God's rescue plan to pull out a people to be his people, that he might be our God. Remember the psalmist, he said he, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph. He sent one, he was a slave Joseph was a slave. He was injured and shackled in iron. He was tested. And, and the king sent and released him to be lord of the king's house, ruler of all his possessions, to bind princes as he pleased, and to teach even his elders the wisdom of God, just as Joseph was sent to rescue Israel. Christ sent in his likeness to save the world. The power of gratitude, it's not like, just, just say thanks. That's, that's not where it comes from. But it's reciting this truth and these realities which reshape all truth and all reality. God's people have, have given thanks for and have remembered and have sang and declared and taught and embraced this truth and these realities for, for all time. And when this truth, Christ Rescuing us, not because we deserved it, but while we were enemies. When that is the white noise of the soundtrack of, of our lives, and I say it that way, like, it's just, it's just there all the time. Everything we do, it's, it's, it's informed by this reality. Like, uh, uh, two years ago, we were in New York, and I got these sunglasses because I didn't have any, and I... I'm a baby, I can't look at the sun, I'll die. Um, and, and just this past week, I, I found them in my car, and Irie put them on, she was like, oh my gosh, like, she was looking at something, and then she was like, she took them off, and she was like, oh my gosh, like, the world doesn't look quite as cool without these glasses. And I was like, you don't either, because they're really cool, right? I love New York, it's, you know. But the reality is, those glasses, they make everything like, almost like have a blue hue, and they do reduce the sun glare, but it just makes everything just look cool. And, and here's the reality. It makes everything look like, like uh, lively rather than dull. 
That's what keeping this in the forefront of our mind, the, the, the kick drum of our heart, the white noise of everything that's going on, when, when this is, the, it, it makes everything look different. It redeems everything that we see, even the bad stuff and the good stuff. It, it looks different when these things are in front of us. It, and it frees us to live from a place of gratitude, not burden, thankfulness, not guilt. So, so what does it look like to respond to his wondrous works? We get, we get to sing of his salvation. Right? The songs that we sing up here, they matter. Like we, we care about the words of the songs that we sing. Are they about how great we are? Are they about how great God is? We get to anchor our hope to his salvation. Like the hope of all hopes. Not like, I, I hope those funds come in, or, or I, hope I, I hope the test is whatever. No, the hope of all hopes in life or death. We get to anchor it in these realities, and we get to delight in his salvation to us, for us. It changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we live. See, this isn't about some vague theology, but, but he died for me while I was against him, and all of my life is, is a drink offering poured out back to him, not out of duty, but out of delight. And the last thing is this. The wondrous works are the chosen's delight. This is how the psalmist concludes in verse 43. So he brought his people out with joy. Again, what's that mean for them? What's that mean for us? He, his chosen ones was singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took the possessions of the fruit of the people, and they uh, might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Wondrous works of God are our invitation to sing songs of thanks for, for all time. The, the song of God's chosen past, present, and future. Like, I know that you know people, and maybe you are one, and gosh, I, I pray that you would realize that right now, and in some way, we all are, are drawn to do this, but you know people who live, you know people who don't live a life of things, and, and like the grumbler and the complainer, do you know him? Maybe you are. Are, are you him? Are you her? No matter what goes well, they focus on the negative, and, and no matter the time of day or the season of life, the only reality they see is, is the way that people are against them, and everything's negative, and, and they miss the beauty of the moon because they're focusing on, on the what-ifs of the dark side of it, even though it, it's not even in view. It's like, like Eeyore, he's a Winnie the Pooh character, and he always says, like, I'm Eeyore, nobody cares, right? He's just real, like, it's just a cloud, just a, a, a cloud following him around. Do you know that? that person? The, the reality is it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of negativity. And to be clear, I am not inviting us, I'm not encouraging some blind optimism, some shallow happiness. I know that guy too, that just no matter what, like, hey, and you're like, but, but you've just suffered. Yeah, but you know, it's like, okay, that's, you gotta be authentic 
and raw because of these truths. We're not going to be phony, but it does shade everything. And, and it's easy to be drawn into a culture of, of downcast thinking. Think of like circles at, at work, um, your work, not my work, um, where, I'm, I'm kidding, um, uh, social circles, team stuff, classroom stuff, whatever. Like you're just around these people and they just talk bad and everything's just like, we, we get to be mindful of that. In fact, God's people, they get to shine light against that darkness. We, we, like what's the opposite of delight? It's, it's despair and misery. And what's the opposite of singing? I don't know. I thought about this a little bit. Uh, is it silence, maybe? Is it whispering? I don't know, but, but I think it's grumbling and complaining. And the invitation is to sing the wondrous works of God with everything that we have. Man, Philippians, Paul tells us, do, not, do, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Like, are you just a hard person? You just grumble against everything just because? You just want to push against it just because? And he goes on, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. It's literally gratitude and thankfulness. Are, are, it's, it's light waging war against darkness. The, the, the translation of that, live grateful, find joy, live without arguing, talking back, grumbling. That's true for, for, for parents and children and, and spouse to spouse and boss to employee, teacher, coach, whatever. Whatever the dynamic, be a light in this world by living joyfully by the words you say and the attitude of your, of your heart because that's what's going to come out of your mouth. And that's what's going to be showing on your face But who should be the most joyful no matter what the circumstance? His chosen people. That's what it tells us. Who are his chosen people? Those who respond to him in faith. Those who know, trust, and treasure above all the wondrous works of God. That's that's who get to be more uh, grateful and, and more joyful and filled with thanks and gratitude. Those who know and embrace the wondrous works of God on their behalf, those are God's chosen. And although we don't deserve it, although we can't earn it, although he died so we can live, and as he brought them from Egypt with joy and singing, so we are rescued from our chains just the same with joy and singing with gratitude and thanks. Now, I'll close out with one ridiculous story I saw on Instagram this week. It was, a, uh, and I did fact check this, so it wasn't just, you know, like that. Um, the band can come on up, but you better listen to this. It's really good. Uh, so there's this guy, 1957, Harvard Research, Dr. Kurt Richter. He put rats in a pool or buckets of water or whatever, and, and he was measuring how long they could just swim without being exhausted and drowning, right? Um, and, and they sank in like 15 minutes was like the max, and they would, I don't know how many rats were injured in this experiment, but he, he would snatch them up before they, they drowned. He would clean them off, put them back in the pool, 
minutes, moments later, right? And, and this is just wild. So, so they just exhausted themselves literally to the point of death. They were rescued, cleaned up, thrown back into that. They did that for 15 minutes. That was like the, the max. How long do you think that those rats swam the second time? Right? And I'm thinking, as this compelling Instagram story is, is over, like the voiceover, he says, how long do you think? And I was like, 10 minutes? And he was like, 10 minutes? And I was like, maybe five minutes? He's like, five minutes? Of yeah. 60 hours. Two and a half days. Why? The conclusion was drawn that since the rats believed they'd eventually be rescued, they could push their bodies way past what they thought was possible. Now, the Instagram guy, he framed it around like believing in yourself. But what's interesting was, was Dr. Richter, the guy who did the experiment, he said the experiment was intended to demonstrate the power of hope and resilience in overcoming difficult situations. Now, why do I share that with you? I share it to point to how belief in what's, what's sure, belief in what's true, and, and hope in what is promised can change our attitudes, hearts, and, and our song, even in the worst parts of our life. Like, we have a promise before us, and he's never failed to deliver on his promises to his people for all time. And he will return to make all things new. He's done the work. We get to behold the hope that is sure. Uh, we get to respond. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up, sing. There'll be some reflection questions on the screen. You can sit over there at the, the prayer bench. You can kneel and pray by yourself. You can pray with someone by that tree back there. My wife and I would love to pray with you at the end of this aisle. For those who are in Christ and those who behold this truth as, as reality, those who've been saved by Christ's work, by faith and confidence in who he is, we get to respond by, by taking communion or, or the Lord's Supper. We get to take the, the cracker and the juice, and we do that, the, the bread and the juice, in, re, in remembrance of what Christ has done. We get to remember that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled, so that we might not only have hope, but that we might receive the forgiveness of sins, that we might receive eternal life from God. And what we get to do in response is to live lives of thanks joyfully, embracing this meal with him. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thanks that we get to have uh, hearts fueled by your generosity to us. And we get to, we get to give thanks with all of our life. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the story and the journeys that you lay before us in psalms like this one, that we get to see the stories of our brothers and sisters who lived way before us, that we get to see the same hope and truth, the God of promise, the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.